Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Brendan Escott, Cam Moon hanging out with you. Oilers now brought to you, as always, by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer, the ideal place to start your daily vacation. You can get your uh, texts in at 780-496-0063. That's the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Get the new floors you've always wanted with Ashley Fine Floors, 143rd Street, 111th Avenue. They're open Monday to Saturday. We are on Twitter at Oilers Now. Myself at Brendan Escott. Good luck finding Cam. I have not been able to yet. <laughs> uh, just a, a quick shout out to uh, somebody listening in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan. Yes! Took the time to text in and say hello. So we wish a hello right back to you as we continue on chatting with the teams. The Oilers clash the most frequently with uh, in the playoffs, of course, but throughout the regular season as well. And we are very grateful that Mike Benton sort of saved our keisters today and came through at the 11th hour to jump aboard and talk crack and mike you're on with brendan and cam appreciate it man how's it going i'm doing just fine thank you and when i say i'm always here for you guys trust me i literally just came toes out of the sand feet in the water phone is still dripping all because i love this game and let's talk some dave Haxtell. how about it that's outstanding where are you <laughs> i am actually along the oregon coast right now it is about uh roughly four hours South of Seattle, about two hours, roughly so, uh, west of Portland, Oregon, a town called Gearhart, Oregon, and a seaside, um, very quaint, has a has a, a, a Southern California beach-like approach here, so very temperatures right now in these, and we got through about roughly 100 games. My boss looked at me and said, get out of here for a week and go make yourself um, uh, scant. So uh, scant is where I am right now. I'm a beach guy, and let's just say I'm soaking all this in right now. That's awesome. Well, scants is scants not quite enough in Edmonton. The hockey talk does not stop, I guess, and this is where we're in here pinch-hitting and soliciting your help to tell us the significance of the Dave Haxtell uh, contract extension. They put him up through 2025-26, uh, obviously, with a huge uh, uptick in performance from the team this year. You kind of figured something like that was coming, and particularly after two playoff uh, series, one win over Colorado and another that they took Dallas to seven games. How much does he mean to this franchise, Mike? Absolutely critical and uh, a big, big piece of what they built here through two seasons. Uh, it was maybe the worst kept secret uh, amongst this uh, entire region. It was a, it was a matter of uh, really not if, but when this thing would get done. And now it ensures a long-term build here for this franchise uh, getting past two seasons already getting into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, if there was ever a guy who worked that room so effectively, it was Dave Haxall. He understood his team's culture. He understood their pulse. He understood when to push the right buttons, when to draw back a little bit. And I really, really think that there was one moment that stood out to me 
for what he meant to this room. And it was after an overtime win against the Colorado Avalanche, maybe maybe a bit of a, of a foreshadowing as well uh, for what was to come about roughly uh, a month later. But they beat Colorado in overtime. It was a back-and-forth game, very tight played. The Kraken led for much of the game, and then all of a sudden, Colorado came back, tied the game in period three, and you could just feel the building just pulsating, energy just surging all throughout, and it was almost as if you're standing right in front of the tidal wave, just looking for it to crash right on you about uh, within a matter of seconds. But the Kraken said something I thought that was very, very critical, and I thought um, very characterizing of what Dave Haxtell's meant so far. They said they looked around at each other on that bench and said, we've got this. There is nothing wrong with the position that we're in right now. It, it, it wasn't as if they just maybe, I think, thought that they would survive, with it, but they also thought that they would win. They had, had, they had a big expectation to win that game. And the guy who, you know, we were told later on that kind of set the culture for that kind of emotional uh, repetition, that emotional cycle, that, uh, that emotional reset button was – Dave Haxtell. He's not the kind of coach who will be animated. He has this calm and cool and really steady-handed as it gets. And that those those core values, I thought, really, really set the tone for this entire team. They really embraced that kind of persona. And ultimately, that was what they needed to get through a grueling but history-making seven-game series in that opening round. Mike, how important was it that the uh, the Kraken had the success they did last year in, in just their second season? It's a very competitive sports market. You've got you've got football, you've got uh, baseball, you've got soccer, you have uh, uni- big time university sports. To have that type of success uh, in year two, uh, how did that? springboard things as far as cementing themselves in with the locals. Yeah, very important. And let's not forget that uh, the Sonics also, uh, the rebirth of the Sonics might be around the corner. And the talk is right and right now. It's not a matter of if, but when they're going to be coming back. So they're the next big thing that's going to come in and really kind of grasp this whole spirit and fever pitch of newness that we've experienced so far in the first couple of seasons with the Kraken. So to get where they got themselves at just season two was so important. It was so critical. And you really don't put the expectation on an expansion team to get where they got through two seasons. But what you want to see them uh, do is just be competitive. Just find a way to get into the playoff race. And that's where maybe uh, a few parts of season one kind of fell well beneath the bar of expectations. You know, there, there wasn't really so much a high bar set to get into the playoffs. Just like, dare I say this, Vegas back in 2017-18. We, we, we've, we beat this year all the way into the ground about uh, four feet so far. But the matter of fact is, as an expansion team, you couldn't expect them to do what Vegas did, yet there were expectations they would be in the thick of it in the race by March. And realistically, they were out of the playoffs by New Year's Day. Uh, So there was some disappointment with how that season ended. Yet in season two, the expectation was to just get back in the fight, make incremental steps, but if you were to talk to any of the players in that dressing room, they had a different idea. They had playoffs 
as, as their goal. So we saw a transformation of what it meant here for this city as far as crack and hockey in a matter of just months. And to get into the postseason, we saw new fans uh, converted. We saw people who had moved from different cities say the Kraken is now my team. We saw them really understand, uh, open their eyes to, I think, the energy and the magic of postseason hockey that is really incomparable to anything else in this game that really turns fans into new fans on this game that converts fans from other teams into new fans of this team as well. And it really kind of takes me as well to the area of what can it do from the grassroots perspective. And this is what this is all about right here. And I remember having a conversation with our, our colleague and friend, Connor McGahee in Colorado on the radio side. And it, it kind of reminded him per se of when the Avalanche won the Stanley Cup back in 1996. And I'll even put, throw in San Jose when they just made the second round in 1994. After that, you saw an explosion, an exponential growth of interested hockey players, young and old, doesn't matter their background. They wanted to lace up the skates and start playing this. And saw that there uh, years down the road in Colorado, especially in California, with players coming out of uh, you know those grassroots programs to become you know say major junior players to even full blown NHL pros, and that's kind of the genesis of what we're seeing right now here in Seattle. From that run of the playoffs into the second round, nine wins short of the cup, you know we're very close to seeing a big windfall here. Uh, people starting to play this game and really invest themselves in it for a long, long time. And to see what's going to happen, maybe say in 10 years down the road, maybe even longer from just this year, it, it, it's going to be very, very exciting. Chatting with Mike Benton from the Kraken Audio Network. And in that vein, Mike, I mean, it's, you haven't really seen the team do it with superstar power, though Matty Beneers winning Rookie of the Year leads you to believe that he's trending in that direction. Um, they've got some cap space to work with here. I wonder what you think about them potentially trying to dig in a little bit deeper here and secure themselves a superstar and, and maybe be a little bit splashier in that market. And, you know, I say this knowing that they've signed Kyler Yamamoto as somebody who I think is a really good example of not only a local product, but a local product who can play right through Major Junior in Washington State and now end up playing as a pro hockey player there. But overall, I wonder if, you know, you're looking at maybe adding a little bit more sizzle to this roster, given that they took a more passive approach in the genesis of, of creating the roster in the first place. I think is the obvious need right now here for this team in that next step because there really is no true superstar on this team. I mean, Matty Beneers is going to get there maybe, but he's still years away, even coming off a, a 24-goal campaign. I mean, Jared McCann hitting 40 as well is great, but, uh, you know, they, they don't have someone who is spoken of in the same vein as, you know, in the stratosphere of Connor McDavid, of Austin Matthews, of uh, Nathan McKinnon. So the cap space is there at about $8 million, but they understand first things first. They have to re-sign Vince Dunn. He is going to arbitration here, likely. Uh, he's an RFA at this point. He exploded from this past season under Dave Haxall, was their power play one guy back on the point. Um, he, was, he was terrific at moving the puck out of their own zone, and for a while, 
uh, during the absence of Andre Burakovsky was their leading scorer on top of that. He's due for a big payday. He uh, is deserving of a big payday. Now the question is how much money do you have to commit to give Vince Dunn that payday? After that, I mean, let's just be blunt, there's not much room left here, period. So if you want to bring in a superstar guy, it's got to be here of the way by trade, and then you got to figure out what you're going to do with other pieces right now where you have to maybe move out. You know, I'm really curious, guys, what happens. Not this summer here because we expect it to be very, very quiet and for them to just add pieces around the edges. But what could happen this next offseason where it's going to be more of a, a robust and fruitful free agent class? I mean, you also have Jordan Eberle coming off the books at $5.5 million. You got Alex Wenberg as of right now due to come off the books at four point. Schultz is also entering a contract year. $3.5 million. He's got one year as well left on his deal. If there's one thing that Ron Francis does so well, and this goes back to his Carolina days, he is a terrific manager of money. He is great with foresight. He is great with a plan and a schedule, and he does not waver from that plan. So expectations right now to land a superstar either a there's something going on that we don't know of behind the scenes via trade which may happen or b you might have to play the patience game play the waiting game and see this thing out for one more year and see if they can do this by committee just like this last season and then wait and see if that big superstar can fall in your lap which can team but one thing's here for sure that, that 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 we've seen from Ron Francis is that he has great foresight with this. It's just a matter of really when all this money and this timing is going to be able to kick into plan. There, there there's really a big log jam right now on this team, and there's there's proof that the players they have in place were able to get it done from this last season. So the feeling right now is that uh, they're putting their faith in these same players again to do it again. So once that cap space opens up and say free agent one or free agent two is out there, you might have more room to go out and get somebody. And I'll make this also clear as well, too. There is no denying the fact that the Kraken and their ownership is willing to go out and spend money for top-end talent. Ron Francis has said so. He has been given the green light to do whatever, basically, he needs and wants to upgrade this team. It's a matter of just putting all the pieces into place right now. What do you expect for Shane Wright coming into this year? First round pick in 22 and ended up in the Ontario Hockey League last year in Windsor. Uh, coming into camp, do you expect him to uh, to make the team and have the ability to have some impact? Making a team is going to be a high bar right now. And I know we're going to go back here to about roughly a year ago when he was drafted and all the expectations and uh, uh, you know, him being such a ballyhoo potential first overall guy. But, of course, you know, times change with information, things change. And, you know, we, we saw, I think, this year, Shane Wright fits more into the mold potentially of a guy, less of Sidney Crosby, less of Connor McDavid, where he's going to come in and, you know, pot you 25 goals as an 18-year-old, but more look at this in the long-term plan of, say, maybe Joe Thornton or, uh, say, Vincent LeCavalier, where they need to go you know, a little bit longer of a runway here to, maximize their potential. If there was one word, though, I think that fits Shane Wright from what he needs this year, 
and that's stability. And ideally, where the Kraken might want him is in the American Hockey League. He might not be able to play there because he's still technically entering a 19-year-old season, but there might be a loophole to work around. And the general sense that I get is that there might be some conversations behind the scenes to see if Shane Wright can maybe, I think, exercise a loophole, being that he's been a CHL player for you know since age 15. He has gone through this whole process for four years, despite not playing one year due to COVID, where the AHL might be the best place for him to play for this next season. He looked great in his initial sit in the American Hockey League. He scored four goals in his first five games. He came back to the postseason after finally getting a decent landing spot for a longer runway in the Ontario Hockey League. And when you play against bigger, you know, stronger and more mature players in playoff time, the numbers tend to decrease. But the general feel for Shane Wright was that he was a vastly improved 200-foot player, especially in the conference final, especially in the Calder Cup final. And he was terrific off the ice no matter what day as far as being a great teammate. So now come the extra pieces for his game that he's got to work on. Maybe, you know, whether it comes from the, the skill set package to, you know, putting on a little bit more weight. So to make the NHL right now, Ron Francis said he needs a big, and I mean big summer out of Shane Wright. He looked okay in development camp, but now these next few weeks are going to be telltale for him to see how he's prepared to take maybe someone's spot on this roster who is older, who is heavier, and has played the game mentally and at a mature level in the NHL for a long, long time. I wouldn't count him out. He's a very driven hockey player, but still needs, of course, a little bit more fine-tuning right now. So these next few months are going to be big as far as how much he chops off. But if he can't make it there, you know, I think maybe you would, you would expect to see if they would look into the AHL for him and try to get through a loophole. But if not, of course, as always, the OHL, one more season, he'll be dominant there. But right now the question, where does he wind up? Uh, one more question for you as we chat and wrap up with Mike Benton from the uh, Kraken Audio Network, and, and that is this. We'd be remiss without acknowledging the fact that in its first year in the American Hockey League, the farm team, the Coachella Valley Firebirds, did make the Calder Cup final. So if he ends up there next year, Mike, it, it's a pretty good environment to be in. Tell me about the success right out of the gate for the Firebirds and, and the importance, I guess, as it relates to the Kraken. Yeah, and, and, and the crazy thing is here for Coachella Valley, they did this all in one season where they don't even have as close to the the prospect pool, the prospect crop that they are going to have and put in place a year from now, two years from now. I mean, they're, they're still filling out their organizational depth pool by just getting through three NHL entry drafts. So a lot of the guys that they picked from that first draft are just becoming of age right now to play in the American Hockey League, and you're seeing now much more of a, a long-term sustained cycle of players who are going to come in into the, into the system and be there here for the long term. What Shane Wright could be getting into here if he can become AHL eligible is still have a great head coach in Dan Bilesma who won a Stanley Cup, uh, still has a, a burning fire, a zest to coach this game at some level, in, in attachment to the NHL and be uh, basically an, an, an influence and a resource here for players who are still about roughly a year to two years away and see them become NHL pros. I thought the ultimate compliment for Dan Bilesma and part of his staff, uh, Jess Campbell, uh, Stu Bickle as well, 
was that Dan Bielsen did such a terrific job at taking his culture, at taking his structure, and making it as close to NHL quality, as close to Kraken quality as it got in that dressing room. What you saw as a result of that were players were being called up and they immediately felt like that they fit in. There was virtually no time that they had to use to get comfortable and become adjusted into the Kraken dressing room and into what Dave Haxall was preaching. Exhibit A for me was Ty Cartier, undrafted, scored 28 goals in the American Hockey League this past season, then became the league's rookie of the year, was then called up due to necessity with health issues on their roster in the Stanley Cup playoffs and scored in his Kraken debut in Game 5 in what was such a hypercritical game at Colorado and then looked terrific for much of the playoffs with the Kraken to close out that series and even into Dallas where if he wasn't scoring – He was hitting anything that moved. And the prevailing thought right now is that Ty Cartier will make this Kraken roster on opening night. But it was all because of the the roadmap, the groundwork that Dan Bilesma laid out. And a a lot of the talk, I spoke with Shane Wright once he got back from Coachella Valley, and he really felt a a great sense of purpose playing with Dan Bilesma's team, with his system as well. So if they could put him in the American Hockey League, that's a that's an option. That's a spot where they feel it's going to bear the greatest chance for him to grow and then set the road work out, the roadmap out for long-term success potentially as an NHL player. Mike, really appreciate you uh, taking the time from the beach. Go get your toes in the water and your butt back in the sand, okay? <laughs> you, you ripped off the Zach Brown band song perfectly, and you gave me the right idea. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Mike Benton from the Kraken Audio Network. Pinch hitting and saving us today. Pinch hitting, rather, and saving us today as uh, as Cam and I. Well, we, we cobbled that one together late, and, uh, and that was some pretty good insight. You'll hear from us on both the Anaheim Ducks and San Jose Sharks, and if you want to get a word in, as well 780-496-0063 we'll open up the hotline the text line all that sort of thing coming up but a couple pieces of news before we jump into our headlines cam coming out of winnipeg first and foremost yeah elliot friedman uh, he is reporting gabe velarde and winnipeg have come to a pre-arbitration settlement two years at 3.4375 million per year and also along those lines Vegas Golden Knights and also from Elliot Friedman uh, coming to terms with Brett Howden two years at 1.9 okay so just under a couple million there for Howden and uh, quite a bit more for Velarde who showed uh, yeah 23 goals last year and then finally looked like somebody who could materialize into a difference maker at the NHL level the potential for that was always there yeah Big bodied centerman, but unfortunately, health had been an issue to this point in his career. The Jets are banking on that not being the case. We'll step out for Evan Cook. He'll read you the global news, weather, traffic headlines, and we'll come back with plenty of time for you. 780 496 0063 if you want to weigh in.